All right. Hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode of the Good Music Podcast. I'm Lucas. And I'm Justin. And thank you so much for tuning in. Um, wherever you are listening, if you will uh, hit that subscribe button, it'll let you know about our new episodes that come out every Monday at 9 Central. I kept I forgot to add that the last couple episodes, that is 9 Central. So It's a little clue to where we are in the world. Yeah. Um, we're going to still keep some mystery as to who and where we are, even though we say our names, and you could probably figure out pretty easily. Um, but yeah, new episode every week. And um, this is our, and I, I promised I wouldn't forget, it's the 13th episode. That's right. And man, things are really starting to pick up. What's the breakdown of our stats now? So we are really close now, and I'm like absolute sure that it's going to happen the next couple of days that we're going to cross the 2,000 play mark. Wow. Which with 10 episodes out, at this point of recording, because we record a little bit ahead, um, 10 episodes with 2,000 listens, that's really cool. Got to be pretty happy about that. Yeah. Um, our Pink Floyd episode is breaking all of our previous records as far as... The, Even Coldplay? Well, as far as how much it's gotten in the amount of time. So in one week, it has gotten 160 plays. So it's already passed Slipknot, which was our previous uh, record setter. Although I have noticed that Slipknot is slowing down a lot now. Um, I think that um, now that we've got a little bit of distance from the new album, that the traffic is probably slowing down. But man, people like Pink Floyd. I have just been amazed watching the numbers every day, just like getting 30, 40 listens every day. And it's been really, really awesome to see because that was that's probably been my favorite episode to record so far. And so I'm really glad that that's on track to be one of our biggest episodes. So that makes me happy. Um, we are we've got one day of Fleetwood Mac and we're at 28 plays, which is really good. Pretty good. Fleetwood so, Mac. Yeah. Hey, they're coming to where we live. I don't know if you saw that. I did not see that. Yep. My wife and I were driving last Saturday from the grocery store, and there's a billboard that says it's, uh, I think it's the Rumors Tour is what it said. And you were able to look at it and go, hey, I know who that is. Exactly. <laughs> and luckily, they're one of my wife's favorite bands, and so she was like, we are going to go to that. Oh, man. I would love be able to see Fleetwood Mac. My dad said that that's one of the best concerts that he ever went to when he saw them. I want to say it was maybe like 10 or so years ago. Wow. I'd have to double check with him on when, but he said that it was just incredible. So I would love to see him. But the sad thing is, is Lindsey Buckingham's not with him. It's true. And they had to get two people to replace him. Because isn't that crazy? Yeah, and two people. One of them is Tom Petty's guitar player, though. So I mean, it's not bad. It's a great guy to have with you, <laughs> but uh, I think the reason they had to get two people is because he's not a singer, yeah. and so they needed someone to be able to also sing those male vocals, and then someone else to play his guitar parts. Man, he's talented. Yeah, it's it's really sad that 
this far into their career that they're still having some fights. Man. But, you know, that's kind of part of Fleetwood Mac. It's true. It's part of the history. You don't really have Fleetwood Mac without all of the drama and the rumors. All the rumors. (laughs) So this week. This week, we are looking at another 80s band that it was so important and influential in shaping what was going to be big in the 80s, and that's The Police. And at one point, I mean, they were the biggest band Yes, they ever. they reached Beatles level at about 83 and 84. Like, just, you know, same level as them and Led Zeppelin and the Rolling Stones. Like, they, for a small period of time, were the biggest band in the world. So last week, after we'd recorded our last podcast and you were asking me about if I knew about the police, mm-hmm. it wasn't until after you left that I suddenly realized I actually know who the lead singer is. Oh, yeah. Good old Sting. Sting. What a great singer, great songwriter. Great songwriter. And great bass player. Isn't that crazy? Yeah. So power trio with this band. Um, power trio meaning that there's just three guys in the band. Um Some of the best bands in history have been power trios, but pulling off that is really, really difficult because it means that all three guys got to be able to really carry their weight and someone's going to be pulling double duty, if not more than one. So which Sting mm -hmm. tended to do, right? Yeah. Uh, He 99% of the time was the vocalist with a couple of strange exceptions, but he had a tough job to fill because even though what a lot of what he played on bass was not complex, this is what always amazed me about him being able to pull off doing what he did in in that band was how he was able to sing these melodic parts, but then his bass playing was completely different rhythmically, melodically, even feel than what he was doing vocally. I think that he did one of the most difficult double taskings I've ever seen. I think it's pretty crazy that his bass playing really drives a lot of the music. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's just so dynamic. Yeah. Very aggressive sometimes, mm-hmm. but it's pretty awesome because it's just like just having a bass drive a song is, I mean, it's kind of my thing. So I kind of love that. Yeah. And I mean, that's just, that's what you're going to see in a lot of power trios because you don't have a second guitar player that's filling in a lot of that rhythm. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, just, you know, especially in parts where, let's say, the guitar player isn't playing chords, but he's playing a line or he's playing a solo. Like, the bass is the one that's stepping up to fill in that space and and that driving part of the band. Yeah, three people. So, obviously, Sting, singer, bass player. You've got Andy Summers on the guitar. Then you had Stuart Copeland on the drums. And another... British Another band. British band. Although, not all three of them were it's British. True. Stuart Copeland's American. Yes, he was. But definitely, when majority rules that it was they were a British band. And that's where they did. Yeah. That's where they got together. That's where they made their initial um, success and then crossed over to America a little bit later. So... I was waiting for you to say it though. Another British, band. I was, <laughs> another British band. I didn't do it on purpose, but then I looked and I was just like, oh, it's another British band. Here we go. <laughs> so the police, what do people need to know? What makes them so unique? What makes them so unique is just, first of all, the way that they 
played. They were such a unique fusion of genres yeah. that as well as just the way they composed and how really brilliant musicians they were as far as their knowledge of theory and just musicality in general, um, that they just created a sound that was so different. And there have been a lot of bands that have borrowed things that they did because they were one of the most influential bands of all time. For sure. They pretty much started the new wave movement. Um, or at the very least made it, were the ones that broke it into the mainstream. Um, which what that is, is you're combining a lot of the attitude of punk, yep. but you're also throwing in a lot of reggae influence. Yep. Definitely gathered that. And you're also just got a lot of pop mixed in there with, with just the slightest little sliver of rock and roll. <laughs> they had a little more rock and roll than a lot of other new wave bands. But they definitely, they they also just brought a lot of darkness and a lot of somberness to what they did. Even the songs that were uplifting had a lot of dark themes, yeah, a lot of, just because that. that was the nature of Sting. He was a very melancholy and morose person, and that's just what he wrote about. There was always a joke within the band that whatever happy occasion was going around, Sting could always find a way to bring the mood down. He was not a life of the party kind of guy. So what I've gathered so far from listening to the police and there was, there were a couple of songs that I was like, okay, I know this mm-hmm. song. And of course I can help but notice that one of their most famous songs of all time is not on this list. Two of their most famous songs. I guess that's true. Totally. I would say probably their two most famous songs are not on this list. It's true. We won't talk about what they are yet, but there's, there's kind of a reason and kind of also just cause I felt like it. That's fair. So what I've noticed about The Police, just listening through this list, even though they were an 80s band, they really stood out because of their unique sound. Yeah. Like, it wasn't just all 80s synth and drums. Like, I mean, there was, you talk about the, about the new wave feel, there was just so much mixed into mm-hmm. every song, but it, they were, it worked. They were one of the few new wave bands to be able to get away with still playing their instruments very authentically. Yeah. And it's mainly because they were they were too good of musicians to have to resort to it. I was going to say that I think that's one thing that stood out to me is like one being a power trio, but two so much character in all their instrument playing. Like oh, yeah. all the instruments that that in every musical part in every song is so unique. It's very um it's just so different from what was being played at the time like it mm-hmm. wasn't your standard, you know, one chord here, two chord here. And then yeah. it's just like, even some of their like progressions and even just like the, the flow of every song, like it constantly changed and mm-hmm. it made it like actually really interesting to listen to because it wasn't just your standard format. Yeah. They really thought outside the box. They were able to present that pop songwriting in such a unique package. Like you've got, you've got Stuart Copeland's drumming, which is, Definitely one of the greatest in yeah. all of rock and roll history. Just what what an insanely good player that could switch from punk to jazz and literally sometimes at the same time. Yeah. He could somehow make a punk drum beat jazzy. And he he's the only person I've ever heard that's been able to do that. And then you've got, yeah, Andy Summers that just knew how to play every chord in the book. 
and knew how to just constantly get around playing your normal chords. He always figured out a way to make it more colorful, to give it more character. I always feel like just having listened to these songs, like his guitar playing almost just sounds like an extra vocal in there. Like it's mm-hmm. always just adding such a dynamic to the song. Yeah. Yeah. And he, he just, he brought such a, a really cool, uh, and people don't talk about Andy Summers near as much because obviously everyone talks about Sting cause he was the star of course, and, and the voice. And then, you know, geeks always talk about Stuart Copeland about because he's just he was so so good and so in your face good um but then not a lot of people talk about andy summers and i think that that's a shame because the band absolutely would not have worked without him he was not replaceable in by any means and he's the reason why the band was able to go up to that next level because he was not originally their guitar player he came in right before they started writing the first album. And he came in as a guitar two player because they had a guitar one player that was a punk rock guitarist because they started off as a punk band Yeah, because that's, you know, 76, 77 in England. That was everything. Punk had arrived and you couldn't be in a rock and roll band at that time, especially not in England. You could maybe, if you went over to America but you would have to play like more Fleetwood Mac Eagles type of rock and roll, not, you know, hard rock, hard rock or traditional rock. You needed to kind of either be in that California sound in America or you needed to get into the punk movement that was going on in Europe. And Stuart Copeland was in a traditional rock and roll, like glam rock group starting out and then realized, uh oh, that's not in anymore. Mm. I need to be in a punk band. Of course, punk is all about just like almost caveman like yeah. playing and arrangements. And I think that that was what was so brilliant is that he knew that he could give punk the twist that it needed. But on first listen, you think, oh, they're like they're, they belong in the punk scene. You listen to their first album. There's a lot of punk in there. Yeah, for sure. Um, but then at the same time, already in that first album, they're throwing in those um that reggae influence that jazz influence that pop uh songwriting like it wasn't as much of a they grew into pop songwriters over time like genesis did because that's what sting brought to the table that's what he was he wasn't a punk rocker he was a pop songwriter that was just like well i that's not gonna make me any money so i need to be in a punk band for now because that's what's in but was able to like sneak it in there and then just kind of it was more of stepping into that and slowly shedding that punk part. So they had an original guitar player. Andy Summers came in and said, hey, you need someone with my ability because Andy Summers was like 33 when he joined the police while the other two members were like in their early to mid 20s. Crazy. Like he was already a professional musician when in the 60s. So he had already seen the wave of music before. Yes. So he came already kind of a, more of the seasoned pro, even though he never made it really any big. He had been a session guitar player. Yeah. He had played in a ton of other bands at the time when rock and roll was really booming in the 60s and was able to provide that experience and that knowledge of just like, 
hey, I've been around the block several times. I can, I'm, I'll, I will help you get to where you need to be. And then once he got in the band, decided, I don't want to share. This guy is not <laughs> near the guitar player that I am. You can get by with just me. We'll just be a power trio. And booted him out. And from then on, the police has just been those three guys. So 83, they become biggest band. Yeah. And that's definitely due to the Synchronicity album. Um, and particularly um, the single Every Breath You Take. Of course. Was huge, huge, huge hit and um, just made them superstars. They were already superstar level before then, but they became the superstars with Synchronicity. And then at the height of their popularity, they ended. And why is that? Because they hated each other. (laughs) They despised each other, particularly Sting and Stuart Copeland. Yeah. Because originally, the police was Stuart's band. He was the one that started it and he recruited Sting and he recruited Andy Summers and he wanted it to be his band. But then, of course, Sting being the handsome one, the singer, the songwriter, he was the one that started to get all of the attention, all of the fame. He was the one that was on front of all the magazines. Yeah. And Sting knew this and he started to assert his control in the band. And it literally on a daily basis turned into fistfights because they were both just very headstrong, ego-driven people. Stewart hated the fact that he was no longer the leader of the band. He didn't want to share. He wasn't just willing to be along for the ride for fame's sake. He wanted it to be his band like he envisioned, and Sting had kind of taken that away from him. Of course. And Andy Summers would try and be kind of the, the reconciliarity voice of reason. But at the same time, he kind of also resented Sting because Sting was shutting down their ideas for songs and saying, no, I'm going to put all these songs that I wrote and maybe you can get one or two in there, but they're going to be my songs. And I'm going to decide what musical direction we're going to go in because I'm the one that everyone loves. So in a way, he was right. But also at the same time, it was just they... They let the success kind of get to their heads. Yeah. But in a way, though, it was a brilliant move to call it quits at the top because they never had to have that period of declining sales or lack of creativity. Like they don't have a bad album in their catalog because they never stayed together long enough to make one. They were brilliant right out of the gate and they stayed brilliant the entire way. And it was just about a six, seven-year period. They did one reunion tour in the late 2000s, and they haven't done anything since. Probably never will. Probably not. Andy Summers is in his 70s now. <laughs> I don't think he wants to do it anymore. But even though we all would wonder what would have happened, what music we could have gotten if the police stayed together, I think it's really cool that... It just ends there and we don't have to have that embarrassing album or that that, farewell tour or that album that didn't quite live up to synchronicity that they made the biggest album of the year. And then the next one doesn't live up to the hype or that album that was made while they were strung out on drugs and tired from the road. It's almost like we just get a pure image of what the police were through their music. And so I just, I think that that, it's almost kind of like the Beatles a little bit. They quit while they were making the best music that they ever were making. 
And so they didn't have to embarrass themselves. So I just, I really like that about their story, even though obviously they didn't end because they were just like, oh, we'll split part on good yeah. uh, feelings and just, you know, this is, this is what we planned all along. Like they tried to make that next album and the, the fights were too bad that they were just like, nope, I'm done. But in hindsight, ended up being the best thing probably that they could have ever done because it preserved their legacy. Their un their legacy musically is untarnished. All right, so that is the police. Yeah, in a nutshell. So, yeah, we'll uh, we'll go ahead and talk about the songs that we've picked for this week. So uh, stay tuned, and we'll get right back to it. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Welcome back to the Good Music Podcast. We are talking about the police on this episode. And we are about to talk about the songs that... Uh, we picked for this week. So if this is your first time you're listening, what we do is every week I pick six songs most of the time. If you check out our Beatles episode, I actually did eight on that one. But what I'm doing is I'm picking six songs that if you've never listened to The Police before or you have very little knowledge of them, these six songs should serve as a great first step into getting into them. But I'm also picking songs that, from start to finish, have a musical narrative and a flow to where you start at one point and you end at a very specific ending point, and then hopefully that there's a meaningful emotional journey from A to B. So I'm not just picking the most popular songs. I'm not just picking my favorite songs. I'm not just picking the songs that I think are the best. I pick the songs that I think fit best together while still giving a great first impression of the band. And so um, if your favorite song, and like I, we said earlier, there's two very big songs that do not appear on this list. It's not because I don't like them. I love both of these songs. I just didn't see where they fit in this list in telling the musical story that I wanted to tell. But we will definitely come back to The Police someday and those will be great songs to talk about on a volume two or a volume three. So definitely let me know what songs you would like to see on another police episode. If your favorite did make it on, let us know. If um, our, your favorite didn't, let us know. Get, leave a comment and uh, we'll go ahead and jump into these songs. Song number one, Message in a Bottle. So there was, in my opinion, there was no other song that I could put first. It was their first hit single. It was the song that started pretty much every tour that they did after the song came out. Yeah. It's just, it's the best way, in my opinion, to start this list. This is actually the only Police song outside of their other famous two hits that I knew. Once mm -hmm. it came on, I was like, oh, I know this song. Yeah, it's one of the big three, for sure. For sure. Um, and so, but it's the only one of the big three that I included on this list, but it's just, you can't not have this song on here. It's just such a great way to start. It's the opening song on their second album, Regatta de Blanc, which 
translates to white reggae. When I saw the title for the album, I had assumed that. Uh-huh. Well, well you were correct. And I was correct. <laughs> but this, I think what I really liked the most about this song is it kind of highlights Sting's bass playing. Yes, it does. I've learned this song on bass and I've taught this song on bass before. And the thing that it really made me appreciate was how much his bass playing sat behind the beat. I never really noticed that before until I actually learned it and played along with it. Like whenever someone's playing an instrument, they're either on the beat, they're ahead of the beat or they're behind the beat, which means that they're, if they're behind the beat, they're intentionally lagging. their playing just a little bit for the sake of feel. Yeah. Almost not so much so to where it's off, but to where it's, you know, it's it, the, the goal and the police were never a, tight band as far as everyone is hitting everything very um exact and mechanical and you know they were more of a looser band because that's their jazz influence coming in reggae is a is a loose genre punk is also a very loose genre punk is not a tight genre at all defeats the whole purpose Uh uh-huh but the thing i also notice is that Stuart copeland plays ahead of the beat yes he does he plays ahead Sting plays behind. And so I think that that's what really gives Sting's bass playing such a cool feel to it is that you've got this push and pull of laying back and moving ahead. So yeah, his bass playing, that's 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 the song that whenever I kind of broke apart those bass parts, I really noticed for the first time when. Ah, so that's the reason why I subconsciously all this time really drew to their bass drum relationship. Yeah. I also really love the constant changes in the rhythm throughout the song. Mm-hmm. I mean, again, a hallmark of the police, as it seems. And yep. they just do such a great job in making every part of the song interesting. Because normally, like in a lot of music, you just, you know, okay, this is the verse. Mm-hmm. This is the pre-chorus, chorus, bridge. And every chorus is different. Every chorus every is different. Verse, every verse has a different melodic structure yeah he doesn't sing the same melodies each three times they're all distinctly different yet you still know it's the verse um Stuart copeland does different hits different fills different grooves and for them to do that without overplaying which Stuart copeland is always writing a line of yeah had he put in a little more it would have been overplayed but he does just enough to where he's really showing off but at the same time it's exactly what the song needs and of course, to top it all off, very, very catchy lyrics. Oh yeah. So what did what did you gather from the lyrics? What what uh what is the underlying message in this bottle? I actually didn't think very much about it, to be honest. Oh yeah. <laughs> I was just kinda like, oh, it just sounds I guess I didn't really think very much into it, but it just sounded like just a really good line. Mm-hmm. So pretty much the kind of the whole song is a metaphor for just loneliness in general. Mm. And the the castaway on a deserted island is kind of more of just an interesting way instead of just saying, I'm lonely. Because, I mean, there's a song on their first album called So Lonely. He's already put it in plain words. Right. But now it's the twist at the end is he finds out that he's not alone in being alone. And mm. that because he finds out that a hundred billion castaways are also looking for a home. And so he kind of, even though he doesn't get rescued, it's still kind of a happy ending because he's just like, well, at least I'm not the only one that's 
trying to find help. It's kind of gives him comfort. Seems I'm not alone in being alone, as he says. So this song also then highlights some of Sting's melancholy songwriting a little bit. Yes. I mean, again, it's a very peppy, very upbeat, very happy sounding song, except for maybe the choruses when it kind of gets into that moody atmosphere. But definitely a bit more of a, a darker take on the lyrics, although with a ray of sunshine at the end because he he takes solace in the fact that he's not the only one that's searching yeah. for an SOS. Speaking of which, we have a very distinct police trademark, and that is the repeat the same line over and over again at the end. Yes, I did notice that. that a lot of these songs do that in this list. That takes us to the second song, Truth Hits Everybody. So I explained on the Genesis episode that I usually like to have one or two songs on the list that are the ones that you won't be expecting, the kind of the deeper cut. And that song is this one here on this list. Super aggressive. Yeah. So this is off the first album. This is showing more of their punk Mm -hmm. side. Um, It's fast. It's loud. There's not much dynamics going on. But at the same time, great hooks. Yep. Um, you still hear that very interesting courting from Andy Summers. Yes. This is a song that had a punk, a true punk band written. They would have just been bar chords and it would have been the same three ones over and over again. But in the hands of someone like Andy Summers, he figures out much more interesting chords to play. And interesting addition of bells in the instrumental. And of mm-hmm. course, I love the vocal ad libs in there, but even honestly, just the pace of this song is actually kind of nice. It's got a little bit of like a seventies rock like vibe going there. Yeah. Yeah. Kind of the punk adds a little bit because it's not pure punk. Yeah. It, it borrows more from traditional rock and roll. This song was the hardest one for me to figure out what to do for the list because I wanted something that kept the pace going and something that didn't have the moroseness of the other songs and something that would, cause I knew what my third song was going to be, but I didn't know how to get from song one to song three. And then finally, when I decided on truth, it's everyone. And I listened to it. I was just like, that's it right there. Mm. And so I had the other five already really well locked in place. I was just, it took me a little while to figure out the number two. I almost put Roxanne in there, but then I was just like, it wouldn't have worked as much. And so hopefully that uh, that feeling is picked up by you all listening. So, And that takes us into our third song. Our third song. My favorite police song. Kind of keeps the rock vibe going here too. Mm-hmm. But we, uh, we have a bit of a shift in the mood. Yes. These are my favorite lyrics by the police. And I just love the creepiness that is packed into this song. Yeah. It's a lot of weird guitar sounds. This is one of the few songs that I've spent a really long time trying to figure out what I think the lyrics mean. And so what I, well, let me ask you this. Did you pay attention to the lyrics on this song? No, not really. I listened to the music first only because what kind of got me was right off the bat, 
I thought it was like, oh man, this is like, this is definitely very eighties rock. Like you mm-hmm. can tell eighties yeah. rock, glam rock almost sounding. Yeah. Kind of. And, um, of course, like just the most interesting thing I think about this song is again, classic police style, just so many interesting changes throughout mm-hmm. every section. And of course, even just like the instrumental that goes on there somehow manages <laughs> to get back into the melody of the song. Yeah. Which is so crazy to me. Mm-hmm. I love the little guitar melodies that mm-hmm. go through here. The and the and even at the end, it's just like, it kind of almost has like a little bit of a Latin flair, mm-hmm. like towards the end. It's just like, oh man, like just so, so fascinating. Just like yeah. what they did here. The last time that he hits that, um, before he starts singing the many miles away part yeah. over and over again, when he hits it on the dark Scottish leg, that like sends chills. Cause that chord they hit there is so like dark and unexpected. Yeah. They hit that and you're just, and they, and then they ride that mood all the way. It's just like, Oh my gosh. Yeah. <laughs> so I'm going to talk about the lyrics for a little bit. Go ahead. So for the most part, the lyrics are talking about a family man, a father that's part of the, just kind of the, the everyday white collar workforce Sorry. side note mm-hmm. this is synchronicity two. synchronicity two yeah why are there two so synchronicity one uh is what opens the album yeah. and that's actually the album that they say the word synchronicity they say it quite a few times actually <laughs> that's that's the line that they repeat at the end of the song right in synchronicity one and synchronicity two does not have really anything to do with synchronicity one doesn't really, unless I do some deep dive onto some music theory here from my listening, it doesn't seem to borrow any musical themes. It doesn't borrow any lyrics. Like it's not like there's a phrase that's said in both rather synchronicity. One talks about synchronicity in of itself, which is a um, psychology term talking about how all things that seem unrelated are in fact related. It's kind of like the, there's no coincidence that even something that things that are happening on the opposite ends of the earth and that seem to have no connection in some way they are connected and they're moving together. So then the lyrics for this song. So for this song is actually like showing that in the real life. And so you've got this family man who is fed up with his family. His grandmother is screaming at the wall. Um, They have to shout above their dinner of Rice Krispies. (laughs) And so it's just, you can tell it's a family that doesn't have much money. Obviously, they've got extended family that has to live with them. Everyone's screaming. And it doesn't say the father saying anything. It just says him, like, just being quiet and, like, gazing off into the distance. And almost just kind of like trying to escape mentally, but almost like he's kind of going to break at any moment. And then the second verse goes into his uh, his day at work. There's people protesting whatever business that he's at. Um, and he talks about how going to work every day is like a humiliating kick in the crotch, which I love that <laughs> lyric so much. Yeah. And then the third verse talking about like being stuck in traffic and knowing that he has to endure all this traffic just to go back home to his crazy family. 
and that saying that daddy grips the wheel uh, in frustration. He knows that something somewhere has to give. And it's just kind of like he's getting home and he's about to lose his mind. But then at the end of every verse, they almost like randomly cut to this other thing many miles away. Something crawls from the slime at the bottom of the dark Scottish lake. So in my mind, that's the synchronicity that these two things are happening at the same time. You've got the monster that's about to come out of this man that is so frustrated with his mundane, pathetic life that he's going to be in metaphor, the monster. Like it's kind of like, what is he going to do when he gets home? They're almost setting up the stage. Like he's about to like go psycho and like, I don't, I I don't want to get too dark on here, but like he's going to do something bad. Sure. Is what they're setting up the scene to be, or at least he's going to in the near future. And at the same time, you've got this monster that's coming up from the lake, the lake kind of almost like symbolizing his subconscious. Mm. It's finally coming to the surface to rake havoc and destruction. And so I just, I think the way that they set that up lyrically was just so interesting. And that's why I love that dissonant chord. It's like, that's the moment the monster is out many miles away and it's just, it's coming closer and closer. And so I just, that song, it's one of my all time favorite songs, I would say. Just from a songwriting perspective. From a songwriting perspective. Yeah. And just, and then the way of obviously the way the music complements all of that. So I had a lot to say about that because I just, I've thought about this song a lot, not just in preparation for, recording this but like over the years i've constantly listened to the song and tried to figure out what it means one of the things that i noticed especially about sting's songwriting is he uses so much storytelling mm-hmm. in it um and also sometimes some just some references to like other literature and, and yeah. lots of stuff like that he was a very well-read man we're gonna get really into that when we get to one of our later songs where he Name drops a lot of stuff that a normal person would be like, what the heck is he talking about? (laughs) Sting has gotten a lot of flack for his lyric writing. Not necessarily what he's trying to say, but the way he says it. Some of his rhyming being really forced or just some of his lyric ideas. Like um, some people have really railed on him for songs like da-do-do-do-da-da-da-da. Yeah. And just kind of like, that's all I want to say to you. And they're just kind of like, what, what, that's stupid. Although I get what he was trying to do, but, and then there's, there's other songs like, like in Don't Stand So Close to Me, he starts to shake and cough just like that guy from the book by Nabokov. (laughs) It's just kind of like, roll your eyes, okay. It's like you literally couldn't think of anything else to rhyme with. Well, he he said that he couldn't. (laughs) (laughs) So he was just like, well, I'll try it. And then he got a lot of criticisms for it. It It's just like, well, you win some, you lose some. You weren't there. (laughs) Yeah. So he's, he's gotten in trouble for that. And then even in his solo career, there's, there's some rhymes that I hear that I go, that didn't quite work. But then he has other times like synchronicity too, where I'm like, this is brilliant, brilliant lyric writing. So some, sometimes it happens, which leads us into our next song that some people have criticized his quote unquote, stupid lyrics. 
fourth song on this list, Walking on the Moon. How about a reggae track, everybody? Yes. So this was not their first overtly reggae track. Roxanne did that on their first album. But this was their first reggae song to be a hit. Mm. So interesting fact, even though Roxanne is one of their biggest songs, it didn't become big until after the police got big on that second album. Because Message in the Bottle was their first number one hit. Right. In the UK, Walking on the Moon was their next one. Once they once they hit it big, and they hadn't those songs failed to chart in the US. It wasn't until the third album came out that they became successful in the United States. But Roxanne, they retroactively re-released as another single, and then the second time, that's when it did really well. But you could technically say, even though Roxanne came out first. Walking on the Moon was kind of their first hit to have that very reggae feel to it. And the song really kind of highlights Sting's just vocal talent. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he he gets really high on that song, yeah. but yet it doesn't sound like he's straining. I've got a pretty high voice, and there's a lot of Sting songs that is so difficult for me to sing along to. To, to also have that tone in your voice yeah. while singing that high, to not just falsetto it. It's really, really difficult, and he does a great job on this song. But we do, we do have some some funny lyrics in this song. I hope my leg don't break walking on the moon. It's just kind of like, okay, this was a song where it was definitely more important to have music, and it's just like, well, if this is going to be a single. It's got to have words to it, and. Um, Sting himself has over the years kind of put credence in just like um, I didn't really do my best on the lyrics on this one but it worked out it was the number one hit in the U- in the UK so you know you can't really complain too much it's kind of it was almost like it was a necessary like that song can't be instrumental yeah because it's pretty much the same throughout yeah it's a very sparse instrumentation but and is and the vocal melody is amazing. Yeah. It's just kind of, you know, the lyrics maybe didn't quite hit, but it's almost you don't care. You don't the lyrics don't ruin the song at all. Like you you hear it and you go, huh, okay, but then you still are <laughs> singing along to it anyway. Right. Um so it's just like that was where Sting really succeeded, where a lot of other lyricists would probably fail. They write some bad lyrics and it derails the song where sting can get a hit single in spite of what the lyrics are (laughs) we also have some great use of delay yes in this song and it was really a kind of a revolutionary track to do so it's one of the first times that that technology was being put into place Mm. and um stewart copeland jokingly says that there would be no u2 without walking on the moon because they use pretty much that same technology to very successful means. And I can tell by the look on your face that U2 is not ringing a bell that much. I know who they are. And I'm getting, But that's probably about it. <laughs> and I'm excited. I'm always excited when you say you don't know what a band is. I probably know their hits. You probably do. We'll get to U2 at some point. I love U2. But keep that in mind. U2. They are a delay-heavy band. Sure. And Walking on the Moon was definitely, um, that would have come out about the time they would have started 
writing and recording. So it's definitely easy to see the song being an influence on them. Even if there's no record of them saying, Walking on the Moon was what inspired us to do this. Right. But I mean, it was such a big hit in the UK that you couldn't have ignored it. So that takes us to our fifth song on this list, Wrapped Around Your Finger. So this is another one that may not have seemed obvious to put on this list, but I love this song. It's one of my favorites off the Synchronicity album. I think this is one of the most interesting musically songs, Mm -hmm. musical songs that I've heard. I mean, just one, it feels very in tune with the time, of course, in the 80s. Lots of 80s sounds. Um, Love how it intros with that synth line right off the top. Yeah. And there's just such an interesting dynamic between the verses and the chorus. Mm -hmm. It kind of, it sparked a a memory in me about what we talked about with Nirvana. Yeah. Just with how like the verse is a little slower. It's like kind of a little foreboding, Mm kind of dark. And then all of a sudden the choruses are like big and it's light and it's very bright sounding, even Mm -hmm. though again, the lyrics are not exactly super like happy. So... Wrapped Around Your Finger is another one of the more interesting songs lyrically in Police's catalog. And there's so much literature reference. I don't even know if I'm pronouncing this right, but Scylla and oh, yeah, Carbides. Right. Yes, there's a lot of Greek literature in Greek in literature. Here. You've got Mephistopheles. Mm-hmm. You've got references to um, Faust and the Sorcerer's Apprentice. Yes. You've got... It's only um, song I've ever heard that uses the word alabaster. <laughs> I just I think that it's so clever how he was able to like, and some of it is like you can tell he's starting to get into that period where he's forcing some of the rhymes. Yeah, like I will turn your face into alabaster when you find your servant is your master. Like it's just like yeah, it works, but it's just like that's like how long did you sit there and think what rhymes with master? Alabaster. <laughs> like that's in my opinion, that's the only reason why that word is there is because he needed a rhyme for master because yeah. he knew that verse had to end with that word. And until recently, it was the only song I'd ever heard that mentions Mephistopheles, which is another word for Satan. Mm. Um, until I heard a Marilyn Manson song, which is actually a really good song called The Mephistopheles of Los Angeles. A little foreboding there. Yeah, <laughs> it's it's actually a really, really good song. But anyway, he he does use a lot of that because he's very much tapping into almost an alchemy feel to it. Like a lot of these characters he's talking about are either demonic figures or specifically in the way that people that have relations to where they're serving these dark lords like faust is a character that sold his soul to the devil yeah and um just kind of the way that he's talking about a relationship but how he's taken that relationship to a magical metaphysical spiritual level in the way that one person is controlling the other. So he's talking about the way that you're wrapped around someone's finger. Just, you know, the first two verses is um, Sting trying to assert control but not succeeding. But then in the third verse, he finally gets control. But rather it being for good, now they're just in the same scenario, but the roles are flipped. Mm. He didn't gain freedom for the sake of having 
mutual um, benefit, but rather it's now I'm the master and you're the servant, not we're both equal. Now, it's not I'm not wrapped around your finger anymore. It's you're wrapped around my finger now. The tables have turned. And so it's not necessarily a favorable outcome because now we're just back in the same spot that we were. Mm, what a journey. Like a like a ring, a circle. It all comes around. And I just I think the instrumentation in the song is really, really cool. Yeah. I love the the drums that ex that followed the exit of every chorus. Uh-huh. And I love that that uh fading guitar hit, the bam 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 which Kind of tie into our bonus song a lot. Before we get to there, this is our last song on the list. Well, not the last, last, last song. The last song on the main list. Last yeah. on the main list. Every little thing she does is magic. Yes. What a great song. What a great song. This is my favorite song on this list. Okay, I had a feeling it would be. Yeah, it's so interesting to me. Yeah. So the way that I crafted this musical journey is we've got first three songs are push, 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 push. Although the third song ending with that darker yeah. feel to take us down with walking on the moon, mm -hmm. which is less, I guess, mournful, but a little more like spacey and a little mysterious to wrap around your finger, which is still slow, but has a little more dark energy to it. Yeah. But then I wanted to come out of it and I wanted to go back into the light again. And to kind of have a, sometimes I'll refer to an ending song as my end credits song. It has a great, there's a great transition here, obviously, because of the way that this song starts. Mm -hmm. It starts off very, not very sad, but does start off quite sad uh -huh. and mellow. And then all of a sudden it switches gears and it speeds up to get you into yeah. the chorus, which is so fun. Mm -hmm. So this is on their Ghost in the Machine album. And this album was the album right before Synchronicity. So they'd already made it big everywhere at this point. Yeah. And this is kind of the album that turned them into superstars in general, mainly because of this song. The song was one of their biggest hits. And this was the last song added to the album. And it would not have been on the album unless the producers told them this album is so dark and so depressing that people will not buy it. You <laughs> need to have a happy song on here. And Sting was just like, fine. And he had actually written the song like in the mid 70s. Yeah. And kind of had just been carrying it around. Didn't know what to do with it because again, he wrote it at the time that punk was starting to move and was just kind of like, well, this song doesn't fit with what is going on. And so he just held on to it. And when he realized he needed a love song, a happy song, he was just like, well, I've got this old demo that I've been carrying around for forever. Let's let's see if this works. And it ended up being the perfect thing that the album needed. And ended up being the hit that propelled that whole album. Like, there were other hits on the album, but this was by and far the biggest hit on it. And I'll, I've talked about it many times, how a lot of times the album's biggest hit is the one that almost didn't make it onto the album. It was written at the last minute, or in this case, recorded in the last minute but what a great move it was sometimes the producer is right sometimes it's not just the band members having the great ideas while producers do make a lot of dumb decisions every now and then you got one that knows what they're talking about plus that's kind of why you need a producer anyway yeah so 
Interesting hearing a real piano so much mm-hmm. on this song compared to, I mean, really any of their stuff. Yeah, it's one of the few times they had to bring in someone else to play something for them because that's how it was in the original demo they recorded. And they tried to do all these different things. They tried to do a punk version of it. They tried to do a really reggae version of it. They tried to do a fast version, a slow version, a jazzy version, and none of them were working. And Stuart Copeland was just like, let's go back to the demo. How does the demo sound? And it sounded fairly similar to what ended up being the final version. Mm. And so Stuart Copeland tracked his drum parts by literally having in his ears the demo version playing. <laughs> and, and of course, typical Sting fashion, even though it's a happy song, there it's not completely happy. No, it's not. Gets a little stalkery. I resolve to call her up a thousand times a day. Ask her if she'll marry me in some old-fashioned way, but my silent fears, they grip me. Must I always be alone? Like, it's kind of almost just like, the story is he's not going to get her, but he really wishes because everything she does is magic. And then I think the real thing that pushes this song over the edge is when it makes that change at the end and it goes like into this like up-tempo almost jam. Yeah. And he starts doing the EO, EO. Like, I think that was a brilliant move. Absolutely brilliant move to put to the song. And I, in my opinion, that was the moment, how I talk about every week, there's a catharsis that I want yeah. the set to build to. That's what it's building to. Especially when he does that. Every little thing she does is magic, magic, magic. That's like the energy the whole set builds to the whole time. Yeah, there it is. There it is, yeah. The police. We got a lot more into lyrics this time which I think was pretty fun to do instead of just more talking about music. Obviously you have spent a lot of time thinking about some of these lyrics. Yeah. They're, um, they're lyrics that I've thought more about than I have with other bands. Um, my dad has this book at his house that's lyric called lyrics by sting and Mm. where he writes about every song that he wrote both with the police and in his solo career. Interesting. And I've read through it a couple times. Each time I go back to it when I've listened to more of their songs. And like, cause you know, the first time I read it, I probably knew about eight or 10 of their songs. So I would just find those songs that I knew. And then times I would go back to it. I've heard more and more of their songs. So I get more and more out of the parts that he wrote. And that book was really fascinating to me. If um, you like the police and you want to learn more about those songs, I recommend checking out that book. It's a really cool. And he is very honest about the times where he feels like his lyrics did not hit the mark. Like he's kind of the first one to say, yeah, this this lyric was a stretch or I didn't I did. I didn't put the best thing here. But he also tells some really cool stories. His uh, his stories on Roxanne and he really talks a lot about every breath you take and how he talks about how almost his entire solo career was trying to make up for the darkness in that song because he felt that it was the moment he got too dark with his lyrics. Mm. And so it's a really cool book to read. So that's kind of why I know a little bit more about the lyrics with this band because I've read that book several times and I've just remembered different little things. When we come back, we'll talk about the bonus song, and then we will give our final thoughts. So stay with us. 
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome back to the Good Music Podcast. We have been talking about the police. We just finished talking about the songs of this episode, which to recap are Message in a Bottle, Truth Hits Everyone, Synchronicity 2, Walking on the Moon, Wrapped Around Your Finger, and Every Little Thing She Does is Magic. If you want to listen to these songs, there is a description in, um, or instructions in the description on how to find my Spotify playlist. And uh, if you will give my profile and that playlist a follow, you'll be able to listen to these songs every week. I would really recommend that you not just listen to each episode, but that you listen to the songs that go along with it, especially if you are not familiar with the songs. Hopefully, us, us talking about them will pique your curiosity and that they will make you want to kind of hear for yourself what these songs are, or if Maybe you listen to the songs first and then you listen to the episode. That could work as well. But don't just listen to us talk, even if you've heard these songs before. Listen to them in the order that they come into. Um, They might give you a new perspective on them. So um, now we are going to talk about our bonus song. What a bonus song is, is I like to do one song every week that's extra that has some connection to our main artist. But I liked it for it to be either from a lesser known band or a one hit wonder or maybe uh, a band that just had one or two great songs. But just kind of an artist that would not typically have their own episode. And Justin, what is our bonus song for this week? It is Iran. So far away. (laughs) So this song is by a band called A Flock of Seagulls. Typically, when you've done the bonus song, there's usually a connection to the band of the week that we're listening to. So in this instance, this is more of a genre connection. Okay. So the police were instrumental in starting the new wave movement. And A Flock of Seagulls was kind of like where new wave ended up before the new wave movement died. It's almost kind of like there was the logical conclusion that it took to and definitely a song that pulls a lot of inspiration from the police for sure this is definitely an 80s song oh yeah this was one of the most one of the biggest hits of the 80s yeah classic 80s sounds mm-hmm. all over oh yeah this is your prototypical 80s song definitely and um this band was a one-hit wonder for sure mm-hmm. um no, not really any other hits. There was one other song of theirs that got top 10 in the UK, but that was it. Um, but this song has become one of those epitomal 80s songs. Interesting thing about the song is that there is also such a long break before we actually hear some vocals. Yeah, there's a long instrumental part in the beginning and that the kind of the creepy sounds is very police. 
very yes. reminiscent of Synchronicity 2, in my opinion. I think that particularly from that song, the song draws a lot of stuff from the guitar lines, like how the mm-hmm. guitar um, enters with them. Yeah. Where Synchronicity does. Lots it's of very... really interesting guitar melodies that mm-hmm. almost act like another voice in there. Yeah, there's definitely um, whoever plays guitar in Flock of Seagulls, which I didn't like research as much to know their guitarist name. <laughs> I don't know if that's bad or not, but you can definitely tell that he was very influenced by Andy Summers. There's yeah. a there's a lot of that playing in there, and the song is very much structured like a police song. But you are missing that uh, it's it's definitely 80s drums. It's not Stuart Copeland-style drums. Yeah. It's a very simple beat, mm-hmm. very repetitive. But it is a very catchy song. It is. It's easy to see why it became one of the big hits of the 80s. This is definitely like glorification of 80s music right yeah. there. <laughs> uh-huh. This was the 80s at the height of their power. Absolutely. This was It was like 86, so it was like... The like the time when the eighties were the most eighties. Yeah. It's like all the hallmarks of any and every eighties song of all time. Mm-hmm. But the band is still together. Interesting. And they hate the fact that people come to their concerts just to hear them just play Iran. Yeah. And they they're just like, we don't want to play it, but we know if we don't people are going to get really pissed off because it's like, that's the reason why you go see Flock of Seagulls is to hear them play Iran. Well, every band's got that one song. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I always think about that. Like if you were a one hit wonder and like everyone's yeah. literally just standing around waiting for you to get to that one song that they know, that's got to suck. <laughs> and that'd be like the only, whenever you have interviews, that's the only thing they talk about. And, just you know they're just like we've got other music too but no everyone just knows the one song just the right song the right time the right place Mm -hmm. i mean really my response to that is if you you could have written some better songs maybe (laughs) if if the songs were good enough they would have been hits too look at the police they wrote all kinds of great hit songs yeah they did so let's go ahead and give our final thoughts so as someone that had very little exposure to the police. What was your conclusion after listening to them? I think the biggest thing that I really enjoyed about the police is just how so much character in all their instrumentation. I mean, they made every part of a song interesting. And honestly, thinking about all the bands that we've listened to these last 13 weeks, like nobody ever really did what, and almost kind of not replicated what the police did in that. Even I think one of my favorite bands that we listened to so far, like even Tears for Fears, like there's still some like repetitiveness to some of their stuff. And the police just made everything sound interesting. And like, you know, we talked about even just like the versatility of Fleetwood Mac with a lot of the different genre styles that they played. Mm-hmm. The police took that to the whole new <laughs> yeah. level. Uh-huh. And they yet they still made it work and they always sounded like themselves yeah there was never that point where you were like well who is this band yeah like there was there's was those characteristics that always stayed there with every iteration yeah i think even just like you know last week we talked about genesis and even that like to some degree you know when i kind of compare the two it's like at some point listening to genesis you're just like okay this is like this is kind of the same and then 
you come back to the police and just like nothing's the same. Mm-hmm. It's all different, and there, and some of it like is very big differences, obviously, but some of it, a lot of it is there's some subtleties to their music that just it's just like they just it's almost like they just tried a little bit more <laughs> to make it sound more interesting. Well, the, I think the reason why is the competitiveness with the band members. I think that they were always trying to one up each other. Yeah, it was a that's why Stuart Copeland always played the way he did. It was he was trying to he was trying to dominate the mix in the band, and um, I think that that's just that's what happens when you have these these three very strong egos and personalities vying for control. It comes out in the playing. Yeah, I think just I mean overall, just even though I mean this is a band that was in the eighties with which for me it's just like when music was really kind of at its most interesting and they still managed to to stand out yeah like and there's some incredible 80s bands that were doing really good stuff mm-hmm. and the police just still i mean even honestly sting's voice to me is so you know i mean listen to so many of the bands in the 80s like sting's voice just stands out because it it's so different it's so unique that than anything else that was out there at the time too yeah. And Stuart Copeland's drumming, you could hear it from a mile away. Absolutely. And, it's, and it's specifically in the way he hits his cymbals. He's probably like the best cymbal player ever. Mm. So much so that when Peter Gabriel recorded his song Red Rain, he called Stuart Copeland into the studio just to play the hi-hat. <laughs> he didn't play anything else. He didn't play the snare. He didn't play the kick. He didn't play the toms. He literally sat in the studio and played hi-hat that's crazy because he wanted the Stuart copeland hi-hat sound that's so crazy so it's just when you have you know when you're being called in just to play hi-hat that means that you have a sound that is so identifiably yours that no one else could ever recreate it and the last thing that i'll say about the police is that you know all their songs always are really busy like there's always a lot happening um, which is kind of crazy especially for you know for a power trio just to to produce that much sound mm-hmm. like, and, but it, for it not to be like, it's not even on the line of being too much. It's just yeah. like, it really kind of works for some reason. And even just the musicianship we talked about earlier, just between the three of them, just like how, you know, Sting could be lagging behind and then their guitarist is like further up and it's just like, and it just works together. It all combines together and somehow they made it work. Yeah. So how would the police rank among all the artists that we've looked at so far? I think hmm, I'm probably still a little biased because I really, really love Tears for Fears. Mm-hmm. But um, I would, I think it would be them. And then I think it would be the police so far for me. Awesome. Um, just, I mean, it's kind of hard to beat them. <laughs> and of course, I I wanted to say this earlier, but every little thing is like the quintessential like any movie you watch is like anytime there's like or any rom-com especially any rom-com like anytime uh-huh. there's like a sad moment yeah that's the song <laughs> yeah well it was in the wedding singer yeah well all right well that's our episode on the police uh hope you guys enjoyed remember hit that subscribe button leave a comment leave us a review and we're going to continue to build the number of listens that we have next week we're going to be changing gears into uh, one of my all-time favorite bands. I'm actually wearing their shirt right now. We're going to be looking at, in my opinion, the greatest 
of all the metal bands, and that is Iron Maiden. A band that I have never once listened to in my I life. I would have been surprised if you had, but I think that you are going to be pleasantly surprised by them. So um, for all you metalheads that are listening, stay tuned for that next week, and we'll be, uh, we'll be talking about them. And uh, thank you so much again for listening. I'm Lucas. I'm Justin. And keep on listening to good music. Thank you.